Hello and welcome to My Daily Trivia. I'm your host, Danny, and today is Friday, September 29th, and I hope that you are having a wonderful day. It's finally Friday. Hope you guys had a great week, and I hope you are looking forward to an even better weekend. Now, if this is your first time listening, I, of course, want to say welcome to the show. My Daily Trivia, this show, is a 10-round quiz show with no specific themes, no specific topics, and no specific categories. We do have a new episode every day, Monday through Friday, with each day getting progressively harder, much like the New York Times uh, daily crossword puzzle, if you will. gets harder a little bit each day. So, of course, today is Friday, which means that today will be the hardest day of the week. But as always, if you find this episode to be a bit too challenging, well, I still think you should listen to it. And if you find it too hard, you know what? Take the weekend off, relax a little bit, come back on Monday. It'll be the easiest day of the week. On the other hand, if you find this episode to be a bit too simple for your taste, well, it's as hard as it gets. So I would say congratulate yourself, pat yourself on the back, because this day is as hard as we're going to make it. So without any further delay, let's get into today's round of questions with question number one. What is the name of the cultural meeting grounds of the Maori? And those meeting grounds are called marae. A marae is a communal or sacred place that serves religious and social purposes in Polynesian societies. In some modern Polynesian societies, notably that of the Maori in New Zealand, the marae is still a vital part of everyday life. In tropical Polynesia, most marae were destroyed or abandoned with the arrival of Christianity in the 19th century, and some have become an attraction for tourists or, or archaeologists. Nevertheless, the place where these marae were built are still considered tapu, which is sacred for most of these cultures. So once again, those cultural meeting grounds were called marae. Question number two. In Arabian mythology, what creature is a giant bird of prey so massive that it's said to be able to carry off elephants? And that bird is called a rock. The rock, which is R-O-C, by the way, the rock is an enormous legendary bird of prey in the popular mythology of the Middle East. The rock appears in Arab geographies and natural history, popularized in Arabian fairy tales and sailors' folklore. According to art historian Rudolf Witkower, the idea of the rock at its origins in the story of the fight between the Indian solar bird Garuda and the serpent Naga, the my theme of Garuda carrying off an elephant that was battling a crocodile, appears in two Sanskrit epics. The theme and the story then expanded westward and embedded itself into Arabic cultural stories. So once again, if you see a giant bird of prey flying around picking up elephants, it's probably a rock. Moving on to question number three. What two animals bred together 
create the animal called a hinny. And those two animals are a horse and a donkey. A hinny is a domestic equine hybrid, the offspring of a male horse and a female donkey. Now, it is, it is the uh, reciprocal cross to the more common mule, which is also bred between a horse and a donkey, uh, but that is a male donkey and a female horse. Now, the hinny is distinct from the mule, both in physiology and temperament, as a consequence of genomic imprinting, and is also a much less common crossing. In general terms, in both these hybrids, the foreparts and the head of the animal are similar to those of the sire, while the hind parts and the tail are more similar to those of the dam. So a hinny is generally smaller than a mule, with shorter ears and a lighter head, and the tail is tasseled like that of its donkey mother. I thought that was quite interesting. Obviously, everyone's heard of mules. I personally had never heard of a hinny. So that is a hinny, a cross between a male horse and a female donkey. Question number four. Which peninsula located in Southeast Asia is known for its stunning beaches, tropical climate, and popular tourist destinations like Phuket and Krabi? And that is the Malay Peninsula. The Malay Peninsula, also known as the Segarism Peninsula, is a peninsula in mainland Southeast Asia. The landmass runs approximately north-south, and at its terminus, it is the southernmost point of the Asian continental mainland. The area consists of peninsular Malaysia, southern Thailand, and the southernmost tip of Myanmar. So that peninsula, the southernmost tip of the Asian continental ma mainland, is the Malay Peninsula. Question number five. What is the name of the first emperor of China who ordered the creation of the Terracotta Army, a vast collection of life-sized clay soldiers and horses, to protect him in the afterlife? And that emperor was the emperor Qin Shi Huang. The Terracotta Army is a collection of terracotta sculptures depicting the armies of Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of China. It is a form of funerary art buried with the emperor in 210 BC with the purpose of protecting him in his afterlife. The figures, dating from approximately the late 200s BC, were discovered, by, were discovered in 1974 by local farmers in Linton County outside of Jian Shangxi, China. The figures vary in height according to their rank, the tallest being the generals. The figures include warriors, chariots, and horses. Estimates from 2007 were that the three pits containing the terracotta army hold more than 8,000 soldiers, 
130 chariots with 520 horses, 150 cavalry horses, the majority of which remain in situ in the pits near Kinshang's mausoleum. Other non-military terracotta figures were found in other pits, including officials, acrobats, strongmen, and musicians. Um, now, this is quite fascinating. Many of us have seen images of the soldiers. I did not realize that there were that many. There are 8,000 or more soldiers. I also didn't realize that there were chariots, horses, cavalry horses, there are archers, there are non-military figures. And uh, going through the images are absolutely impressive. Very impressive work. I can't believe some some artisans did that. Um, if, if you guys haven't seen pictures of it, I strongly recommend looking it up. It's quite a fascinating quite a fascinating piece of history. So once again, the person who who commanded all that and the person whose mausoleum that all that is designed to protect is the first emperor of China, Qin Shi Huang. Question number six. Who was the original Weekend Update anchor on the very first episode of SNL in 1975 and continued in that role until 1980? And that anchor was Chevy Chase. Weekend Update was created by original anchor Chevy Chase and SNL writers Herb Sargent and Al Franken, and it appeared on the first SNL broadcast on October 11, 1975. Chase popularized several catchphrases during this segment, such as his, quote, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. That was his greeting, and his repeated announcement that, quote, Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead, end quote. When Weekend Update began, Chase was consistently on the phone, presumably talking to his lover, and would talk until he realized that he was on air. Chase would always end Weekend Update with, quote, That's the news, good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow, end quote. Uh, now, other prominent anchors include Dennis Miller, Norm MacDonald, Seth Meyers, and the current duo, of Colin Jost and Michael Shea. So all of those all of those anchors, but the original one was, of course, Chevy Chase. Question number seven. Who was the first president impeached in the United States? And that president was Andrew Johnson. The impeachment of Andrew Johnson was initiated on February 24, 1868, when the United States House of Representatives passed a resolution to impeach Andrew Johnson, the 17th president of the United States, for high crimes and misdemeanors. The alleged high crimes and misdemeanors were afterwards specified in 11 articles of impeachment adopted by the House on March 2nd and March 3rd, 1868. The primary charge against Johnson was that he had violated the Tenure of Office Act, basically meaning that he had removed someone from office, replaced that person without the approval of Congress. So, in my opinion, not the biggest deal in the world, but it was historic because it was not only the first, but it also helped test and draw the boundaries between the legislative and the executive branches of the U.S. government. 
So that first president was Andrew Johnson. Moving on to question number eight. What was the name of the report which investigated the assassination of President John F. Kennedy and concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald had acted alone? And that report was called the Warren Commission. The President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, known unofficially as the Warren Commission, was established by President Lyndon B. Johnson to investigate the assassination of United States President John F. Kennedy that had taken place on November 22, 1963. It concluded that President Kennedy was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald and, the, and that Oswald had acted entirely alone. It also concluded that Jack Ruby acted alone when he killed Oswald two days later. The commission's findings have proven controversial and that have been both challenged and supported by later studies. Now, the name Warren comes from its chairman, the Chief Justice Earl Warren. That's where the name Warren Commission comes from, which I think is a much easier name to remember than the official title, which is the President's Commission on the assassination of President Kennedy. The answer we were looking for was Warren Commission, but if you remembered that one, if you came up with that official one, I would definitely give you that answer. That is impressive recall. Moving on to question number nine. In Buddhism, what term refers to the state of perfect enlightenment and liberation from the cycle of birth and death, which is the ultimate goal for Buddhists? And that, of course, is called nirvana. Nirvana is the, quote, blowing out or quenching of the activity of the grasping mind and its related unease. Nirvana is the goal of many Buddhist paths and marks the soteriological release from world worldly sufferings and the rebirth in samsara. Nirvana is part of the third truth on cessation of dukkha, in the Four Noble Truths and the Summum Bomum of Buddhism and the goal of the Eightfold Path. So remember all of that, all of that is Nirvana. That's what Nirvana is pointed towards. So that is Nirvana in Buddhism, the perfect state of enlightenment. Moving on to our last question of the day, question number 10. What is the only language in the world known to use a unique script called Hangul, which was created in the 15th century under the reign of King Sejong the Great. And the answer there, that is Korean, the Korean language, actually. Hangul is the native alphabet of Korea. It was created in the mid-15th century by King Sejong as both a complement and an alternative to the logographic Sino-Korean Hanja. Initially denounced by the educated class as a vernacular writing, it only became the primary Korean script 
following independence from Japan in the mid-20th century. Now, fun fact, the king himself, that was, uh, that was King Sejong, he actually sat down and wrote, he personally wrote this alphabet. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a king sitting down and creating a brand new alphabet? That's quite impressive. I mean, coming up with an alphabet alone is quite impressive, but you have to think, he must have been doing all this while he was actually doing his kingly duties, right? Reigning his kingdom, taking care of his subjects, possibly battling war. You'd think he'd have enough going on, but he decided instead to sit down and create a brand new alphabet. Very impressive. Once again, that imp- that impressive act was done by King Sejong. That is the uh, that is the Hangul script, and it's only used currently in the Korean language. Now that will conclude this round of My Daily Trivia. As always, if you found this round to be uh, to be a bit simple, congratulate yourself because uh, this is is as hard as it gets. And uh, as always, if you found this episode to be a bit too challenging, well, listen, take the weekend off, relax a little bit, come back to us on Monday. We're going to have the easiest round of the week. As always, I want to thank all of you for listening to My Daily Trivia. I'm your host, Danny, and I will see all of you on Monday.